0: This conference is all about bringing together that powerful triumvirate, people, capital, and ideas. In 2015, the Paris Climate Accords set the target of limiting global warming to well below two degrees. To reduce the disastrous effects of climate change, we need a whole economy approach. Business, government, and finance working together, taking swift action to reduce emissions supporting and championing the innovators in cleantech, promoting leadership that sees decarbonisation as an opportunity, an opportunity for innovation, an opportunity for global collaboration, an opportunity to build a better world for the future generation. The people here today, the people driving this change. Welcome to Innovation Zero. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Mark Dobie. I'm from NatWest. We're hosting this stage today, but all I'm going to do is introduce, hand you over to James Murray for the next session, which is on the Shopify Fireside Chat. James, over to you. Excellent. Thank you, Um, and welcome all to what promises to be a fascinating half an hour. As mentioned, my name is James Murray. I'm the editor of Business Green, and delighted to be joined by uh, Stacey Kaul, who is the head of sustainability at Shopify. And over the next half an hour or so, we're going to be discussing the state of the carbon removal market. I've been covering uh, the net zero climate change space for over 15 years, and I I don't think it's an exaggeration, Say I think this is one of the most exciting and important developments that has happened in that entire time, the emergence of carbon removal technologies and projects that actually work. Hugely complex, not a little controversial, but an absolutely fascinating space and one that is going to define this sector in the coming decade. So I'm delighted to be joined by Stacey to discuss it. Stacey, as I said, is Head of Sustainability at Shopify. We'll be talking a little bit about Shopify and who who they are, but many of you will know them as a platform that enables e-commerce all around the world. And also Shopify has been one of the early companies involved in the Frontier Fund and a leading player investing in this nascent carbon removal space. Shopify itself has committed more than 33 million to date in the sector across 28 companies and of course it's part of that frontier coalition that we'll be hearing more about that's committed nearly a billion dollars to invest in this space. Prior to joining Shopify, Stacey was head of the Ozone Layer Protection Program at Environment and Climate Change in her native Canada. Welcome Stacey, thanks so much for joining us. Let's kick off just to start with For those who maybe don't know, Shopify is one of those huge companies that um, is not always immediately visible. Can you just give a bit of background on who the company is? And then also why it's got involved in carbon removals of all things?
1: Sure. Well, first off, it's wonderful to see so many people here today. So for those of you that may not be aware of what Shopify is, you've probably interacted with our platform if you've bought just about anything online. So Shopify provides trusted tools to start, grow, market, and manage a retail business of any size. We have millions of merchants in over 175 countries around the world. So if you've bought something online, it was probably a website powered by Shopify. Now, you may wonder what commerce and carbon removal have to do with each other, but I'm gonna tell a little bit of a story. So back in 2018, We wanted to become a carbon neutral company, so we were doing all the right things, we're gathering our data, we're measuring our emissions and we get all the numbers together and we go, okay, great, now what are we gonna do about this? Well, we probably should go buy some offsets. Okay, great, let's go learn about that. And so we started digging into the offset market and the voluntary space and quickly discovered that not all credits are created equal and we had a lot of questions. How would us buying a credit that protects say a a piece of forest in Brazil, undo our emissions that we've been putting into the atmosphere operating our business since 2004. And we ended up with a lot of questions and we decided, well, what's this carbon removal thing? Wouldn't it be interesting if we could pay someone to go and pull the same quantity of emissions out of the air and lock it away forever? And then we've technically covered ourselves off and we thought that was interesting. It was like, okay, well, that's great. We'll buy that. And so we went out and quickly discovered that what was available was very expensive, uh, in very short supply, and likely wouldn't happen for many years to come. And that's where we decided that commerce could bring a lot to the carbon removal space. This was an underdeveloped and not performing market. It may or may not be today, we can debate that here, but we can use market forces to build something that the world is going to need down the road. And that's why we decided to um, start buying carbon removal rather than uh, traditional avoided emission offsets back in 2019. And so the first thing that we did was we set up a commitment to spend $5 million every year on buying carbon removal. Since then, as James said, we've spent 33 million, 40,000 tons of that is permanent carbon removal, which is really exciting. And then we also co-founded Frontier, which stacks a billion dollars worth of demand on top of other purchases that have already been happening.
0: Um, Let's start from first principles on this. So you you mentioned carbon removal. I mean, how are you defining that? Because, you know, obviously there is carbon offsets have been around for a long time. I think most people who are at a conference around net zero probably understand that concept. But how do carbon removals differ? And again, how are you defining it as a term?
1: So broadly. Carbon removal for Shopify means atmospheric capture through whatever means. It can be DAC. It can be direct air capture, an engineered solution. It can be captured through photosynthesis, through kelp growing or biomass production. There's a lot of ranges of options there for capture. But what it means is the emissions have already happened. The CO2 is already in the atmosphere. And so that's how we're defining the capture side. And then when we talk about removal, we mean removal from the atmosphere. And that's where things get interesting. And there's many shades of storage where you can have short-term storage solutions, say like soil carbon or storage in the biosphere. Those solutions are really important because likely they're more cost-effective than an engineered solution and they will buy us precious time. So that's on the lower durability side of the carbon removal storage spectrum and then on the far extreme we have solutions like mineralization and geologic storage which can lock that carbon away for you know thousands if not tens of thousands of years so when we're talking about carbon removal at shopify it means atmospheric capture and some kind of storage outside of the atmosphere and we value that storage component very differently and so we've actually got contracts in place with 27 companies And that is the full spectrum of carbon removal. We've got five direct air capture companies. We have ocean-based solutions. We have biomass solutions. We have biochar solutions. We also have things like soil carbon storage projects as well as reforestation. And so what we're trying to do is capitalize on the solutions that are ready to scale today that may not provide those durable storage solutions, but You know, if we can store carbon for 10 years, for 100 years, that is certainly going to buy us the time we need to scale those 1,000-year or permanent storage solutions.
0: It's fascinating. We're going to go into some of the many different types of technology that are available. Just one other quick question on how you define it. What name do you think will win out? Because one of the challenges I always think with this space is, I mean, we write about it all the time on Business Green, and we refer to it as carbon removals, carbon dioxide removals, or CDRs, if you like an acronym, negative emissions. Yeah. Carbon offsets, durable carbon offset, and is is there a slight sort of messaging challenge here? Do you think carbon removals is the one that will will win out as a as a term?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Um, I do like to gamble, so maybe we should take some so bets. Take some bets on which one. Um, but you know, I think whether you call it carbon removal or carbon dioxide removal, I think that that's not really yeah. the the term i that causes trouble. I think durability. Yeah, is is the term that's a challenge because it combines two concepts, at least how I think about durability. It is almost like an actuarial risk calculation that you do in insurance where you're looking at the likelihood or of something occurring and also the severity of the outcome. And to me, durability is very much the same definition where it's the likelihood of re-release and how often do we think that that's going to happen and what is the consequence of that? And so when you take those two things together, you have durability. We're not just talking about length of time. It's also about the likelihood of re-release and how certain we are that the carbon's staying where it is. So durability, I think, is probably going to drop off. And we're just going to call things maybe short-term storage, long-term storage.
0: Yeah. It's a lot simpler. Interesting. And obviously that durability question, that's that's why a portfolio approach makes sense. I mean, can you just, just give us a, a brief overview of some of those technologies you mentioned? And... And, you know, how mature they are, what the pros and cons are. Because I think one of the things that's not well enough understood about this space is this technology is now out there and it is working. I mean, there are, there are proven, admittedly, at the pilot project scale, but this stuff isn't sci-fi, it is happening.
1: Totally agree. I think it's a very interesting time for the entire ecosystem. When we made our first purchases back in 2020, a lot of this stuff was in scientific papers and existed in the lab and hadn't actually been piloted out in the field. And now we're seeing that that's taken place. So some of the technologies that I've seen move out of the lab and into the wild are things like ocean alkalinity enhancement, where we're adding reactive minerals to the ocean that then draw down the dissolved CO2 in the ocean, which then frees up capacity of the ocean to pull more CO2 out of the atmosphere. And it also reduces acidification. So there's some co-benefits there. That one was a lot of beakers and labs. And now there's actual data coming from in-field, in-ocean tests, which is really exciting. Um, Another one that we're starting to see in operation, and everyone's familiar with Direct Air Capture, we've seen the Climeworks ORCA facility in Iceland come online and actually do the thing in the wild at a commercial size of 4,000 tons. I think what's going to be really exciting going forward is we're going to all be watching to see what happens with the 1.5, 500,000 megaton facility in Texas. They just broke ground earlier this year, DAC1. We'll see if that comes online in 18 months and proves to be operational at scale. It's going to be quite exciting because that's a replicable um technology so and, and
0: this is the the engineer technology that is literally just drawing CO two down it. from the atmosphere storing it in rock
1: taking yep. air pulling it in with big fans across a contactor where the CO2 reacts with the sorbent and then you know you shut the doors and you run it in reverse you heat it up and you get the CO2 to come off the sorbent material and then you capture that which you can then store in many different ways you can put it into concrete you can Compress it and put it underground in old oil wells, perhaps, or different salt caverns and things like that. So, you know, we've got a good range happening. And I think we have nature-based on one side also, where we've got reforestation and soil carbon, which really does I, uh, you know, we're gonna get to MRV probably. I,
0: well, I just, just <laughs> want to ask that question about nature based. Yes. One of the arguments here that some environmentalists would put forward is why don't you just plant some trees? Like we we have a solution that draws c o two down from the atmosphere. Yep. Let's just plant some trees. I mean, what why do we why do we need this type of carbon removals when sure. when well, that solution is available?
1: I mean, there's a couple of things that need to be considered when we're talking about nature based solutions and trees as um the solution to the climate crisis. There's a couple of issues. One, we've all seen the calculation. even if we planted trees on every possible piece of land we have, it would not be sufficient to address 200 years of fossil fuel use. So we've got that. But I would also argue that the time scale that trees operate on is not fast enough for the state of the, the climate crisis that we have to address. We need things that are going to operate much quicker. Now, the argument against that is, well, those things don't yet exist and they can't operate quicker if they're not in in production, right? So that's... Part of the reason why we need to focus on trying to prove and scale carbon solutions that do not take up arable land because we all need to eat and we need places to live and we need a long term solution.
0: Mm. And, uh, but I mean, very much not a both, it's a both and, isn't it? It's not like oh, the a 100%.
1: Hundred, hundred I mean, we have reforestation projects in our portfolio because it's extremely important to protect existing carbon sinks, and you can only do that by reforesting those areas that have been impacted by the negative effects of climate change and building those up. And the co-benefits of that also are really important to society because we have to ensure that we're protecting biodiversity as well.
0: Yeah. And just very briefly on the the two other main ones, I think, I mean, I'm probably, I'm dumbing it down quite a lot here, but you've mentioned the ocean, ocean sort of seeding. Uh, You've mentioned sort of engineered removals. You then have sort of biomass with carbon capture and storage. And then also these mineralization projects, which are absolutely fascinating. Could you just give the audience a little bit of a background on, on those two?
1: Sure. So mineralization leverages highly reactive minerals that are naturally occurring. And so basically you take this rock, and it can be mine waste, it can be a variety of different sources, but it likes to bond with CO2. And so what you can do is take something that normally in nature takes thousands of years. And like if you think about the, the water cycle and the ro- and the carbon cycle, you've got you know rocks that have water and wind run across them that break them up and they're really small and it then washes them down and they slowly absorb different things like CO2 and then they settle in the ocean and that takes a very long time. But if we can apply engineering innovation to speed that up, which is what some companies do when we're talking about enhanced rock weathering, you take that mineral, you speed up that process of weathering, you grind it up you put it in a really great spot that has the conditions to encourage CO2 to react with that mineral, and then you see what happens. And so what we've seen happen in some of the early studies that have taken place is that, in fact, you can take um, that 10,000-year process and you can do it in a month, or you can do it in less than a year. And that's really exciting because you're taking a natural system and a solution that we understand how it interacts with the natural environment, and we're optimizing it. Obviously, you need guardrails in place. You can't over-optimize and do something too much. There is carrying capacity in natural systems, but there is certainly some room to optimize.
0: Absolutely, and just very, very briefly, biomass. That's when yeah. you 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 have the the wood chips or the biomass energy, and you're you're capturing the carbon, so it becomes net negative. That's the the premise there.
1: That's that's right, and I think you know you can hear a lot more about this in the next session but when it comes to using biomass it's really important that it in fact is waste yeah and it is waste biomass that isn't being taken from another stream where it is useful and you're using that waste biomass to create heat or, or energy and then you capture the CO2 on the back end and then you can store it which means you've then taken advantage of the most efficient way of capturing CO2 which is photosynthesis very low energy, you're not having to run big direct air capture fans, you're just using the plants that have already grown for 30 or 40 years, yeah. and taking the the carbon from there, but locking it away permanently after you've extracted the energy.
0: See. So there's a, a range of different options, but let, let's talk a little bit about where it goes from here and some of the, the challenges. I mean, the the big sort of accusation or concern with the sector is, is this question we hear a lot of, of, of moral hazard, as it's called, this idea that, and as you mentioned, you you know Shopify came to this looking as a sort as a means of offsetting, and the argument that a lot of activists and campaigners are putting forward is, is this distracting from the need to cut emissions at source if 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 we, if we are to develop a big carbon removals industry, why do we need to stop investing in fossil fuels and it can be used as a as a cover for continued development of carbon intensive assets and that's a very, very widespread argument. you must have heard a lot I mean what what's your response to that that kind of you know, that good faith argument as to why we should maybe not be focusing so much on carbon removals.
1: I I think it's a really good question. And I think every company and every actor in the space needs to have that, ask that question of themselves because, you know, you do have to capitalize on the emissions reductions. And I mean, if we look at the economics, um, putting technologies in place to reduce emissions is way more cost effective than running a direct air capture machine to undo your emissions, right? So we really do need to focus on that emissions reduction. And I can speak for Shopify's situation. We're a a technology company. We largely live on the internet. Um, We have employees that fly around on airplanes. And so really we've got two emissions reduction levers to pull. We've got decarbonizing the electricity grid. And then we have alternative fuels and sustainable aviation fuel. And those are the real big things that we can do. And so in order for us to be able to contribute to those two things advancing. We also have done, you know, power purchase agreements for new renewable facilities. And we also buy, we pay the green premium on sustainable aviation fuel to encourage the development of that and the adoption of it into the the fuel ecosystem. So we're also focused on emissions reductions and we think that that's important in order to have a license to operate in carbon removal. And so, What we could do is say, okay, great, we've done our emissions reductions. We're done. We're just going to hang out and we're going to wait for that net zero date of 2030, 2040. And then there's going to be carbon removal for us to buy. And that'll be great. But I would ask everyone if we're not buying it today and we're not working to build the market, what, in fact, are we going to buy when the emissions reductions are done? And what, in fact, you know, forget carbon accounting and corporate social responsibility and what we're gonna buy so that we can do our accounting. Like, let's talk about what actually are the solutions that the world needs to draw down our historical emissions once we've turned off fossil fuels. And if we don't start that now, it's going to be too late Mm. because like it or not, we're not moving away from fossil fuels as fast as we'd like to think we are. And that transition is going to have a very long tail. And so we need to get ahead of it and build carbon removal today so that we can have the future we want.
0: Are you concerned that it could be used by those who are investing more in these projects, though? Because is, is that a, f- a fear or do you, do you think that argument, particularly with, as you say, more, the more responsible corporates, it is being seen as in addition to your decarbonization efforts? I mean, that, that seems to be most of the companies involved with Frontier are certainly positioning that way. Do you think that will become the norm, hopefully?
1: I hope so, because every company has its own unique... Uh, business model. You have your own unique way to um, influence emissions reductions. You know, it beyond just having engagement conversations with your top 10 vendors and working on your supply chain, there are specific things that platforms can do. And that's one of the things that I really love about Shopify is we have millions of merchants. There are a lot of those merchants that are small, medium, and micro businesses. They don't have climate teams, let alone the capacity and time to research what kind of emissions reduction projects should they support? Which kind of carbon credits should they buy if they want to? And so what we're able to do is we actually have a product offering where our merchants can understand their emissions and they can also buy the exact same carbon credits that we buy for ourselves. And so that reduces friction for our merchants and gives them a benefit to their business, but it also brings a benefit to the entire ecosystem where we're starting to stack up more demand for carbon removal from places that, you know, maybe in 20 years they'd be participating, but they can participate today.
0: So, I mean, that brings us to the other big challenge with the space is how do you scale it up? Because as you say, a lot of these technologies now do seem to be, you know, they're working, they're proven, but they are very small scale. And as you mentioned before, very expensive. So what, how do you see the market evolving in a way that it can raise the finance necessary to, to just start to deliver at the scale necessary? Because we're a long way short of that currently.
1: Yeah, 100%. We've got a long way to go. Um, but what we are seeing in terms of what's needed to scale is we've got some first movers. We have the Frontier Group with Stripe, Alphabet, Meta, and McKinsey and ourselves. We have others who have recently joined. Um, But the question is gonna be, who's the next group of buyers? And I think that's where it gets interesting because we need that next group of buyers to come in and make buying carbon removal a little bit more mainstream and to have it be something that fits into the approach for corporate sustainability practices. So we need that, but, What we're seeing in terms of barriers to scale right now are project developers and project financing. Great, it's worked, we've done some field trials. Now I need hundreds of millions of dollars potentially to go build my facility and operate my plant. And oh, I need buyers because on one side, if I don't have enough of my plant capacity subscribed for, then I can't get project financing, but I can't get project financing if I don't have the buyers, but the buyers want to know that the thing's going to actually get built and operate so we have a bit of a chicken or the egg happening there hopefully some of the approaches that use long-term offtakes like we're doing with frontier will pave the way for project financing the other side of this is experienced project developers we've got all sorts of amazing carbon removal startups that have proven their concept and are ready to scale And not a lot of them have experience building their actual thing and operating it at scale. So we're seeing a need for that experience and expertise to come in from other sectors like oil and gas and mining. And those folks need to come in and start developing carbon removal projects because these are not science experiments anymore. They are large scale infrastructure pieces that need to be built and operated. And that experience is is desperately needed in the sector.
0: And, and just finally, before I open up to, to questions, you, you mentioned bringing in that second wave of buyers. I mean, obviously that requires a sort of a commercialization of this market, a kind of commercial model that works here. And at the moment, the sort of carbon offset market, the primary way of doing this, of these projects yeah. selling offset credits, um, you know, has had a lot of criticism and it's entirely voluntary, a, a, you know, a cash trap company could turn around and say, well, I'm not gonna buy those credits. I mean, how how do you see, you know, what role, I suppose, what role does government has and what role does the the carbon market have to try and improve confidence and increase the number of companies that are demanding these types of credits?
1: I mean, it's it's a great question and it's quite complicated, I think. I mean, there's many layers to that onion because, you know, it is voluntary, so you can do whatever you want. So there's no real... There's best practices, sure. But you can do your carbon accounting however you want. You can go get it verified and certified if you want. And then you can buy whatever you want. And what we're buying on that other side of the equation, they're not fungible, you know? Like, every credit is different. It has different co-benefits. It has a different story. It has different durability. It has different permanence, all of that. And so when you have prices ranging from, you know, $20 a tonne to over two thousand dollars a ton, you can do whatever you want, and and, and
0: the CFO will be going
1: the twenty
0: dollar <laughs> one, yeah,
1: right, yeah. or or at least asking why are we not buying the twenty dollar one? That's a favorite question, mm. right? Why are we buying the two thousand plus dollar one, not the twenty dollar one? And you know, we we don't have enough established constraints in the market that makes buyer behavior predictable in order to make this an actual real functioning market and that's where you know james you mentioned the role of government and you know not-for-profits i think there's a lot of work to do on the side of how carbon accounting and disclosures needs to happen but also on what is an acceptable credit and what does that look like and where can you get it? And then what happens, what can you do with it? Mm. Can you trade it or do you have to retire it? And what kind of um, disclosures are required around that? So you have a full chain of custody and you know, it's the wild, wild West, so you can do whatever you want. So I think we're going to see a lot of movement around that. You know, there are different jurisdictions considering disclosure and standards on those things. And, you know, I'm very hopeful that we'll have a world where the policy frameworks include carbon removal Mm. and, you know, the importance of avoided emissions is set up alongside the importance of if you're participating in carbon removal, here's the right way to do it. And that'll bring the stability that we need to have a foundation of an actually functioning market.
0: Absolutely. Hello. Great.
1: I wanted to ask, what other things are you doing other than buying credits? As a software company, you have announced uh, some initiatives
0: providing tools for the developers or the technology companies within the carbon removal space. What do you think are the bottlenecks in terms of tooling for them? And where can Shopify be instrumental in helping them?
1: Yeah, thank you for the question. So. One of the things that's really important when it comes to being a technology company, it really is about growing and decarbonizing the electricity grid. That's critical because we have to power the internet infrastructure and the server farms and the data centers that underpin all of the, the use of our platform. So that's something that we participate in. But there's for in terms of developers and tooling, it's really interesting when we think about commerce. There's two things that we can do when we improve engineering efficiency of the hosting of our of our website and the refresh rates and the calls back to the server when we can improve that engineering efficiency we save electricity and so that's one thing that we're able to do the other thing that's interesting when it comes to commerce and this is a larger question around sustainability is you want to have high fidelity commerce taking place where you know when you go to buy something online Shop on your phone. Oh, look, that's a nice carpet. I'd like to buy that for my house. Oh, I'm not sure that orange is going to go with my other table. And so you're doing this, looking and comparing, and you're like, okay, well, that one's going to work. I'm going to buy that one. Well, the picture that you're looking at on your phone was probably taken by the merchant on their phone, and then it's on their computer where they're then uploading it onto our server, and then it gets compressed and fired across the world and back down the side to your phone. And if that's not done in a manner, that maintains the fidelity of that image, you're going to be returning that carpet and you're going to be shipping it twice. And now, or, you know, not even shipping it twice, maybe you're throwing it out if it's a, you know, a low cost garment. So what we need to do is make sure that we have high fidelity commerce that's happening where we can reduce returns. That's
0: inter- interesting. Thanks so much, Stacy, for a fantastic fireside chat. I'm Nick Daniel, head of uh, sustainability at Climate Partner. So we are uh, a global carbon offset provider uh, did about 14 million tons last year so about 10 percent of the global market and we're seeing demand from our uh, corporate buyers at the moment to do exclusive project development so structured financing of projects they can lock in for the foreseeable future and is that something that shopify is looking at at the moment as part of your strategy
1: it's a really interesting question right because when you can get into that project financing, then you share on the upside and you get those credits delivered likely at a much better price per ton than if you bought them on the open market in the future. So it's definitely an interesting vehicle. Um, One of the things that has to be considered is how you account for that as like a publicly traded company in your financial disclosures, right? Because you've got cash out the door, but um, when you're using carbon credits, for us, they don't actually get expense through our P&L until we retire them. So you have these liabilities and assets and costs that you have to carry and account for correctly. And that's something that's really important to have that framework set up in advance of pursuing um, an approach like that. But I can see how it's very catalytic.
0: Excellent. Thank you uh, so much, Stacey. I've just one very last question to finish off with. We're at a, a conference dedicated to the net zero transition. The goal is to get there by mid-century. What, what do you think this, this carbon removals market looks like in, in 2040? A, a date that seems a long way off, but as I'm always reminding people, most of you here yeah, most of you here will still be around. <laughs> you know, what do you think that world looks like?
1: I mean, I, I feel like we have two choices because we're, we're in a very interesting time right now where carbon removal has the opportunity to take off. And if we're able to get that support and those policy frameworks and the funding that's required to do that, I think we see a world where we have a wide range of solutions from the nature-based solutions to the engineered solutions and all the amazing hybrid solutions in between, scaled around the world and used as a vehicle for environmental justice and community co-benefits, such as the economic opportunities that are associated with that, as well as all of the other features that you can get from a full suite of climate solutions. That's my hope. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, if we spend a lot of our time right now squabbling about, oh, well, this is the right way to do it, or this, we're not really sure what the benefit is. We know there's a benefit, but like, we can't perfectly calculate what it is And then we won't do it. If if we can't just get over the hump and start doing these things in the field and trying to get to scale, we won't realize that future. And I think we're at a critical point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that could be echoed across all the segments of the net zero uh, transition. Thank you uh, so much to Stacey Calk from uh, Shopify. To register your interest in attending, exhibiting, sponsoring, or speaking at Innovation Zero 2024, please go to www.innovationzero.com. We look forward to meeting you at Olympia in London on the 30th of April and the 1st of May
1: 2024.